Hello again, this is Shelton Mumgarner, and this is Vibe Shift, my little podcast where I try to uh, talk about issues of the day. As always, I uh, uh, need a partner in crime, and I'd like to have guests, but for the time being, I have neither one of those things, because whenever I try, people just ghost me. <clears throat> so... The thing that's really at the forefront of my mind these days is what is happening with the American political system. Because it seems to me as though it is quite obvious that in full view of everyone, we are careening towards autocracy. Now, that, that is a very much an abstract. And it makes you wonder, what does that mean? Well, what it means is... Uh, if we look back at what happened with Russia after Yeltsin left office after he died and Putin came into power, what will happen is gradually at first and more rapidly, the American political system will collapse into something of a singularity where where uh, form follows function and whomever is Trump's successor, I do not think it will be Trump who does this, but whomever is his successor, there are about a dozen of them that want to be his successor at the time, well, his autocratic successor, successor at the moment. They will begin to consolidate power, and it will happen. Like I, I think that because, uh, because um, the center left is so weak, that initially nothing will change. Like the autocrat will, like just shrug it off. Like they'll, they'll like. Freedom of speech won't be really affected that much at first, but uh, there's more than one way to get a cat, and in that sense, what they'll do is they will get their cronies to buy up uh, media companies, and before you know it, the late night hosts will be purged, and they're all they they definitely will not address politics at all. But initially, but that but that's a gradual thing. I think. Uh, what will happen is nothing at first to the point where people like me, they'll people will say, well, you know, does president DeSantis hasn't done anything. What are you talking about? There's, there's no reason for you to be hysterical. You've, you've been, you've been alarmist. You've been terribly negative. As Mueller, she wrote, has mentioned about me, but then gradually over the course of the next few years, uh, white minority rule will be established. It will come become conventional wisdom that no, Democrat can become president unless the Democrats control both the House and the Senate at the time of certification. And once the, the connection between the governed and the government becomes very tenuous, if non-existent, then that's when the corruption and the, the graft and the abuse of power becomes really uh, evident. And I think that at the moment, that is what, that's our fate. And I think, uh, I think the thing that a lot of people don't appreciate is that uh, Republicans are going to pass a lot, a lot of very, very unpopular policies once the autocracy is established, because there won't be any redress. Like there won't, they, they, because they they will control all three branches of government for the rest of my life. You know, they will, they will destroy Social Security. The whole social safety net will be destroyed, gutted. Taxes for the wealthy will go down. Taxes for the poor will go up. And there will be nothing that we, any of us can do about it. Sure, there will be 
maybe potentially big protests, but in general, it, it won't mean there won't be anything. Now, there is the alternative, which is a civil war. Now, I do not want a civil war, not at all. I do not want, I am, I am vehemently opposed to violence. Uh, I do not want violence, but at the same time, uh, we have to admit that there is a greater than zero sum chance that there would be, that there is a chance of a second American Civil War. And I've written about both of these options at great length on my uh, blog, TrumpLandyReport.com. Anyway, the point is, we might have a civil war. If we don't turn into an autocracy, we might have a civil war. And it, I've, I keep giving this uh, scenario a lot of thought. And there are, uh, even within the scenario of a civil war, there are lots of different sub-scenarios. Everything from California seceding from the Union, uh, and then that prompting a, a, a succession, the secession of other states, to something much more messy, which would be like there would be a number of coup attempts, coup, coups and counter-coups uh, across the country at, at the state level, which would cause the federal government now run by MAGA to step in uh, in some way. But uh, I think that if there was a civil war, it would be far more messy and destructive and bloody than people are willing to accept or even contemplate. And the, and the reason why people just do not want to acknowledge the fact that it's possible that a civil war could happen is that it just goes beyond their, it doesn't pass the smell test for a lot of people. Like they, you know, we haven't had a civil war since 1865 and they just can't process that the most powerful country in the world, the wealthiest country in the world, a country that likes to, likes to believe it is the freest country in the world would destroy itself willfully destroy itself. Uh, they just they just can't process it. It's just not something that they believe. They, I guess, and this, this is a tribute to the Mueller she wrote uh, philosophy, they believe the system still works, the system will save us, or maybe not, they don't think that people, someone will save us, but they definitely believe that if they just write a long enough, earnest enough Twitter thread that exposes the wrongdoing of Trump and his that that will bring them down, which is complete bullcrap. That is not at all what's going to happen. So when I say Mule Shiro suggests that someone will save us, what I mean is she, uh, or the people behind that Twitter account, still believe in the system. And I do not, I no longer believe in the system. And I believe that we need to, as, 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 as uh, people of good conscience, we need to start thinking about what are we going to do when the bad stuff happens, when we either have us a war or turn into an autocracy. And I think what we have to do is we have to figure out what we believe in. We have to figure out what we believe in. We have to figure out uh, what we're willing to fight for in the real world, what we're willing to suffer for in the real world. Because being keyboard warriors uh, just doesn't cut anymore. Being keyboard, war keyboard warriors uh, on Twitter and getting really upset and doing overwrought Twitter threads about this or that thing is just not going to cut it anymore. That is not the real world. Twitter is not the real world. A very small select sliver of the population is on Twitter. And so you can rant about people being canceled on Twitter all you like, but in reality, that doesn't mean anything. Just not... I mean, it, the, the bad guys, the, the MAGA new right, they want to control the real world with hard power. And that's the thing that I think a lot of people, all the right-wing people that I know, they are so wrapped up in, the, in their personal fear of being canceled 
uh, because of a stray comment that they said 10 years ago that was recorded somehow and goes viral, uh, that they missed that that the that they the that they the, the mega right new right they have hard power and they are accruing significantly more hard power by the moment. So uh, you know the issue is we need to, uh, if you are not MAGA, if you do not want to be under the jackboot of autocracy, you have to figure out what are you going to do. You got a few years probably, probably got uh, as of this recording probably have two to three years uh, to sort of figure out what you're going to do. And uh, you know, uh, I'm not. I, I I abhor violence, so I'm not going to suggest anything that would lead to violence. Definitely don't want that. But there are like the thing I like to think about it, or like to reference is how Napoleon, uh, when he escaped Elba, on my birthday no less, and he was in the south of France. You know, he didn't use violence. He he the people the the army that was sent from Paris to stop him. He stood up and he said, "Those of you." You do not believe I'm your emperor. Fire the first shot, essentially the way he said. And they and they said, you're our emperor. And they hightailed back to Paris with him. And the 100 days had begun. So ideas are often more powerful in the long term, in a macro sense, than any type of weapon, as the communists can attest. Ideas are very powerful. And if you know what you believe in, then that, I think the rest takes care of itself. And... Uh, as such, you know, just believe in yourself, figure out what you believe in, and go from there. This is Shelton Lumgarner. Thanks for listening. This is the second uh, segment of this podcast, uh, Vibe Shift, which is different for me because I usually don't do this. But anyway, it's going to be a little bit longer. I have a lot to talk about. Uh, this is Shelton Bumgarner, as I said before, and uh, I'm going to give you my hot take on abortion, which is a very weighty subject. Uh, I was born uh, just about when Roe v. Wade was initially uh, handed down, and my mother, God bless her soul, often told me that the doctor, he, he sort of said in passing he said well you know you are an older mother and theoretically the law is passed now that you can you can have an abortion now i don't think he i think he was being a jerk <laughs> i think he was <coughs> he didn't like <coughs> he didn't like the the uh he probably didn't like the decision and he was trying to make a point because uh, i would have been late-term abortion if that had happened but i uh, i think about that a lot because you know, how do I square that circle of, well, you know, I could have been aborted. Uh, and I think it, the issue is that, first of all, uh, that wasn't going to happen. My mom would never have had an abortion. That was actually that late in life, that late in her term. Uh, but it, the issue is it's not, like, it's always not been about abortion. Like, that's the thing that the abortion debate, at least for me, the crux of the matter is it's not about abortion. It is about the the rights that have, like, abortion has always been a firebreak. Abortion is a firebreak for other rights, other especially birth control. Because what's going to happen is the right is ascendant, and they and they keep catching the car and nothing happens, and so they will continue to catch the car to the point where the uh, blue states, the center left, will be find themselves in a position where they have to 
decide if they're going to bend the knee to uh, the forces of, Med- of the Magni right, or if they're not. And I, at the moment, it's definitely seems that through a combination of lack of leadership uh, and way too maybe people being being uh, uh, keyboard warriors that they will in fact bend the knee, and that will be it. We'll just turn into an autocracy. We'll turn into Gilead and birth control, like some pretty basic rights that we've we've had for years or decades, will be gone. At some point, we will have white minority rule and white Christian minority rule, and uh, birth control will be illegal. Women will be arrested for having miscarriages. Uh, some thing, many other things which sound dystopian now which will become commonplace. And uh, unfortunately, tragically, the people who might otherwise do something about it, blue check liberals, they will all flee the country in mass. They will all go to the south of France and smell their own farts and drink wine, maybe white Russians, ironically, and talk about if they talk about their latest long Twitter thread uh, that only that people, uh, you know, Elon Musk probably deletes it. But anyway, the point is, they will be keep they will continue to do the same things that they've been doing as the autocracy arises to the same effect, which is nothing. So as as such, uh, you know, I am I. Uh, I believe that my take on abortion is nuanced and subtle enough and granular enough that it makes sense. And I think that uh, I, I'm not I'm not completely opposed to the, uh, the, the, the going to the states. I think the abortion probably is best left to the states as a political matter. But I'm not, I am opposed to uh, it all being a big ruse for the Magnum right to. to to take away numerous other rights. So, you know, I get very frustrated because, you know, as I keep saying elsewhere, when women get really, really angry, things change. It happened in the French Revolution. It happened with the suffragette movement, and it happened with the women's movement of the 1970s. When women risk things in the real world, things change. And also, what's more, is remember... A lot of the change that happened in later years after the women's movement happened because women who had who were mothers to men, to young men, to young boys, raised their their young boys to be feminists, which is a, a soft sort of the softest and most powerful of soft powers in the world, the love of a mother. Uh, and so that's something else to take into consideration. As you know, all this happens. So I guess what I'm saying is, if women once the Roe v. the once once Roe v. Wade is officially overturned, if women got really angry in the real world and risk things in the real world, something would happen. The, like, specifically, if there was a a woman's general strike, make it intersectional, where so that you know a, a, a stockbroker, female stockbroker in New York City, joined forces with a with a cleaning lady, with an African-American cleaning lady in Mississippi, they both decided on the same day not to go to work. And millions of other women across the country, of all races, did the same, decided to do the same thing. That would make the political elite in the United States sit up and take notice. But I don't see any sign that that's going to happen. As such, uh, I think we, like, the thing that makes me get so nervous about our future <clears throat> 
is going to continue to uh, move move forward, which is the the implosion of our political system into an autocracy will continue. We are now an autocracy, which is which, which is a political term for when you're in the, when you're between autocracy and, and uh, autocracy and democracy. And we, I think, we're just going to slide into autocracy. I don't think that we're going to have a civil war because there's you have to have leaders. <laughs> You have to have a leadership. I mean, we don't have any leadership. Uh, and I think uh, the only way that we will, that there would there, that there, that we would have a fighting chance if, for, if God forbid there was a war would be that, that maybe the never Trumpers represented by the Lincoln project, that they might step into the void and become leaders. So you would have Liz Cheney, ironically enough, who I don't agree with on virtually anything, but she is principled, that she would, unto herself, become something of a leader of the blue states, should they secede. But I have not, I mean, I have not yet seen anything to indicate to me that there is any chance of states leaving the Union. Uh, I think they're going to just bend a knee. I think the blue states are just going to bend a knee. Now, there is obviously... And this, this would—I don't know how this would happen, given what's going on. But there is obviously the chance that the blood and soil people might start a civil war. Uh, but I don't. But they are ascended; like they, they don't have any reason to do it. They don't have any reason to uh, start a civil war because they're winning. Why would they start a civil war? Uh, so that's why I think it's going to be the blue. If there was to be a, if there was to be a civil war, it would be the blue states that would leave the union and then start. Start a civil war, uh, but I again, I, I don't like the only reason why I bring this up so much is that I'm starting to like my tendril, my spice senses are starting to tingle, and I know something big is going to happen. I don't know what's going to be, but something really historic and dramatic is going to happen uh, in the coming years, starting from the moment that Roe v. Wade is overturned, and I don't know what it is, and I and I think we all have to. Take a deep breath and think about, you know, what happens should the absolute worst happen and we have a civil war. Like, how is that going to work out? And it's something that I think about way too much. I write about it way too much. And to the point that people like Mueller, she wrote, called me terribly negative. A terribly negative person. And I don't think I'm being terribly negative. I think I'm just being realistic. Uh, and I think there, as part of the vibe shift... I think one day soon uh, it's going to be conventional wisdom that I'm right. <laughs> but because I'm a nobody in the middle of nowhere, no one will, take, no one will say that guy was right. Uh, so anyway, I mean, it'll be some guy, some, some person from the Atlantic will write essentially the same thing I've been writing and they'll get, they get the credit and I won't, you know, it doesn't matter. I have not lot to work on. Uh, so anyway, this is Shelton Bumgarner again, Shelton Bumgarner again. And, um, uh, Figure out what you believe in, guys. So here I am again. <clears throat> I am uh, working on a novel. In fact, I am actually working on five novels. Now, let's talk about how did that happen. Well, I, uh, I initially was going to write a sci-fi novel. And then... It was just too complex. 
and it was too big. And I said, well, why don't I work on something I can, that I don't really have to like read so much about? Something a bit more personal. And at the same time, that, as that happened, uh, I was getting really upset about Trump. <laughs> I mean, I was getting really mad. I was really mad about Trump. And, you know, um, I often, at the time, I would joke to myself that the amount of work that I was doing on the, on, on the novel, on the new novel I started, was similar to, you know, if someone, if I was, if maybe I didn't have that uh, <laughs> parasite in my brain uh, that makes me nice, the cat parasite from Cat Pee that makes me nice, I probably would be collecting guns. Because <laughs> it's a lot of work to work on a novel. And I was so mad. It was, that was where the energy came uh, to work on the novel, uh, the first the first version of the novel. So what happened was, uh, after I stopped doing the sci-fi novel, I said, okay, something a bit more personal. And that's when I threw myself into a novel, which ultimately was split into two, uh, which was set uh, uh, in an allegory for America. And the plot was meant to be an excuse to run around an allegory of Trumplandia. And I was, and I did a pretty good job. I mean, I, I really learned. I got my eye teeth, as they say. I did a pretty good job uh, learning how to structure and write a novel. Now, what happened was, in January or in February of 2021, I realized it really began to dawn on me that Trump had, in fact, been so stupid and so lazy that he couldn't do the simple, basic, autocratic thing of stealing an election. And I thought about it, and I said, you know what? Why don't I, because I, I know it in the back of my mind, go back and explain, show the audience how it is that this little allegory came to be. Because I was getting a little bit nervous that nobody would believe that this particular situation could possibly exist. So I said, okay, I've got two solid novels that would that would tell the backstory as to how this particular situation came to be. And I spent an afternoon, maybe an hour or two, fleshing out what I thought would be the plot of the two novels. And I was like, this is going to be a breeze. Little did I know. It was not a breeze. So what happened was I started working on the, the first novel when what it was now a four-book series project. And I broke my ankle. And when I broke my ankle, I it, I had a little extra, even more extra time to focus on the novel. And I said, you know what? This is too big. I'm going to split it in two. So that's how I got five novels. So I'm just about now, thankfully, about to wrap up the first draft of the first novel of what is projected to be a five novel project. So, and actually, it's three and two. It's three novels. It's a three, the trilogy, and then two books that will be meant to be the beginning of a, of a new series. The, the focus shifts a little bit in the second last two books. But I'm really pumped. I'm really very pleased with with it all. I've done, I, I believe I've done a really good job. Done a really good job. Uh, it's a, like, sometimes, like, you know, I'm in the third act now of the first draft of the first book, and it, some of the scenes are like, okay, this is accumulate, uh, an accumulation of, a culmination, this is the culmination of a lot of hard work because these scenes now work because I've done all the work, about 10, 100,000 words, and now I'm where I need to be to uh, make some scenes really hit home really well. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, 
what I'm going to do is I'm going to finish the first draft and then pause for about a month. Do a lot of reading during that pause. A lot of reading, a lot of daydreaming, a lot of development. Work on the other books in the series. Maybe even a non-series book. And once that month's over, I'm going to turn around and rewrite the whole novel again. But this time, it should be a lot easier because the hardest part, not the hardest part, but one of the hardest parts of the way I do a novel is going from outline to scene summary to written word. Everything changes in all those three different steps. So, it, you know, if I just sort of use the first draft as a guide structurally, then my biggest problem will be just to, to control uh, word count because I'm afraid that the word count is going to blow up, <laughs> is going to grow exponential uh, because right now each, a lot of scenes are not a thousand words and generally they need to be on average a thousand words. They don't need to be, but they should be. Um, and so as such, I am going to... Uh, I'm going to um, rework my, the, my development method some so I can really and I'll re, re, rework my development method some and also I'm going to uh, compress I mean, I'm, the outline some so each it's going to be okay if a, a scene is longer than than just a thousand words because uh, I'm really using Stig Larson's structure like I'm using The Girl Who Play With Fire as my textbook. I really study because I can look. I can. I love that book so much. I can read it over and over again, and I and I really not only read it over again, but really study because I know even though I know it's translated, but study like structural stuff and how he did stuff to convey character. And I have read, you know, other books that have tried to do what I'm doing, and I was not impressed. I don't know how much of that is is ego and how much of that is the truth, but because one of the, <clears throat> one of the books that I read. It definitely seemed as though that person had studied what they felt was the best part of, of the Millennium series, and they wanted to replicate it. But I felt as though they missed the slow burn element of uh, of the whole thing, in the sense that part of uh, the Millennium series was that, like especially the first book, but in general, a lot happened that wasn't spicy it was just you know explaining things but yet there was some momentum that kept you reading it was interesting and i just want i want my novels to be character-based and spicy but i'm not particularly dark in my writing it's difficult for me to write anything very dark um but i uh i, I think i know that i'm i've stumbled stumbled across something really great very interesting, and I think uh, it will be appealing to people. Now, obviously, half, if not more, of selling a novel is luck. Timing the zeitgeist just right, the vibe shift. Uh, and it will be interesting to see if uh, that works out. Uh, but you know, you know, I, I started this knowing that it was that it was likely that I would fail, <laughs> fail, and since I wouldn't get published traditionally. But, I mean, I've gotten this far, and my writing ability has gotten so much better. I'm not going to embarrass myself, and I think that that's all you can ask for. And uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, wrapping up this first book, 
trying to sell it. And it will be interesting to see how far I get. And if necessary, if I don't sell it, uh, I probably will just self-publish. And I'll say, I, you know, I tried. Uh, and I, but, but also, I know now how I write a novel. And I have so many ideas. <laughs> I am overwhelmed with ideas. I might write a screenplay if I uh, if things don't work out and I don't sell this novel, uh, because I, I I would like to experience the, the the process of writing screenplay as well. But I don't know. I really enjoy I, I really enjoy writing novels, and it's become something of my part of my identity uh, that I might just for the foreseeable future just write novels and see if I can get finally get one of them published. I'm not getting any younger not getting any younger. Anyway, thanks for listening.